Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we are set to continue to explore the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 42. We have been talking about Joseph's brothers going into Egypt. Well, this evening we are going to talk about Joseph's brothers returning to Canaan. And there's a real fascinating encounter and revelation in their return to Canaan. A lot more of what we have been talking about as it relates to revelations into our nature. Okay, I just, if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times in this study. In these narratives that we have been reading for the last eight, nine, ten months, what you find is one moral lesson after another. And this evening is no different. So again, I am really excited to engage this subject matter with you and all of you. I really do want to welcome those who are tuning in by way of podcasts in the countries of Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Uruguay, Paraguay, Western Europe, Portugal, Spain, France, Italy. Again, I see Croatia on the grid, the, the Ukraine, China, India, some countries in Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa. So I welcome all of you into this studio in the friendly confines of Chico, California. Okay, with that, again, we are in the book of Genesis chapter 42, so if you want to open up your Bibles, if you don't already have them opened to chapter 42, if you want to turn to chapter 42, verse 26, or better yet, verse 25, and Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey food at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, What is this that God has done to us? What is this that God has done to us? So here again, you have another very important question being asked. What is going on here? Well, it was time for his brothers to return home, right? Uh, for their families were soon to run out of grain. So orders were given to fill his brothers' bags with grain and to return their payment, but to conceal it within their bags possibly to ensure they would not discover the money until it was too late to turn back, provisions were made to meet their needs on the journey home. I mean, I would imagine that smaller separate sacks were provided with food for the men and perhaps even their animals, right? So that the grain sacks with the money would not need to be opened until they arrived home. Now, what's interesting here is that one of the brothers inadvertently opened his large sack to feed his donkey and discovered his money returned. Uh, some believe 
that Joseph's motive for returning their money was in order to test them, a test of their honesty, maybe. But the question I would pose is this, why then would the smaller provision sacks have been prepared in order to keep the sacks with the money from being opened? Right? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense if that was the case exclusively. I am under the impression, as many others are, that Joseph did not necessarily intend this as a test, although it proved to be so. I believe, my friends, that he really had no intention of selling anything to his brothers, but simply rather supplying their needs freely. Would this not be, my friends, an illustration of what we read in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21? If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Isn't this what Jesus is talking about? Remember who we are talking about in the person of Joseph. I have spent a great deal of time talking about who this man is, Joseph, in his virtue. Specifically to this virtue of one who is upright, one who is holy. What is the outgrowth of such uprightness of such holiness, but generosity, my friends. I think what you have here is a real subtle illustration of Joseph's holiness, uprightness, yes, but also generosity. Generosity. Let let us just briefly hit the pause button here and reflect with this virtue, this virtue that Joseph embodies. Really, could we not say that the highest gift we can give to one another is the gift of ourselves. Giving ourselves is the epitome of the virtue of generosity. Of course, we know that the perfect example of generosity is God himself, the creator, right? By means of his generosity, does he generate man in his image, huh? Could we not say that the first virtue learned from God in this sense is generosity? As we are generated from the very holiness and love of God. So for Christians then, God's gift of himself through Christ represents the ultimate form of generosity and really serves as a model for all human generosity. What does he say? Imitate me. Because God creates or generates man in his image out of his own generosity, we have a dynamic, I dare say, divine impulse towards generosity as it was implanted in our soul. To live authentically then is to live how but generously, generously. Donald DeMarco, the writer of Virtue, you have heard me quote before, says, when a person is in touch with the depths of himself, he realizes that at the very center of his being, coincidental with his existence is the impulse towards generosity, right? So what is he saying there? To be is to give. To be fulfilled is to have given generously. The very meaning of life, really then, my friends, is inseparable from generosity when you put this into its proper context. Joseph was a man of generosity, Huh? I mean, everyone recognizes that generosity is more admirable than greed, right? More beautiful than greed, more original than greed, more authentic, more humane than greed. And we highlight this because the fact that greed 
is as common as it is indicates that human beings can be estranged from themselves while trying to live a life that is alien to them. I mean, all the way back since the time of Socrates, philosophers have been reiterating the essential importance of distinguishing between the order of being and the order of having, right? To be is to live generously. To have is to be greedy. So many contemporary theologians have talked about the I-thou relationship. Certainly John Paul II and Benedict XVI, to name a few. And when they talk about the I-thou relationship, what they want us to understand is that the I-thou relationship cultivates our being or our humanness. And the I-it relationship that allows us to have those things that allow us to live. So we have to reprioritize, we have to reorder what it is we are talking about when we speak to generosity, to the least of which is fundamentally our relationship with God and how we relate to God. What was that great line from St. John Paul II? People were made to be loved and things used. We love things and use people. Huh? This is an illustration of the I-thou-I-it relationship. Without the I-it, we cannot live. But without the I-thou, we cannot be human. That's the essence. What all of these contemporary theologians want us to understand when speaking to the I-thou-I-it relationship is that, yeah, on one hand, without the I-it relationship, we cannot live. Practically. But without the I-thou relationship, we cannot be human. Things cannot humanize us. Only generosity can humanize us. So you have greed, which is the antithesis of generosity and the negation of personal being, entering the picture far too often when our attachment to things displace our awareness to other, displace our awareness to being. Oh yes, we can have many things. But often what accompanies that is the displacement of being. No amount of having can ever make up for a neglect of being. You see, my friends, really a form of frenzy addiction ensues when a person believes that if he could only have more of this or more of that, things will just be okay. Unfortunately, as we've talked about before, the logic of greed is such that the appetite grows on what it feeds, right? What you feed grows. Once you have a taste of something, you want more of that. Nothing exceeds like excess of any one thing. Greed becomes more voracious the more it has. This, my friends, is the paradoxical effect that is connected with the fact that a person becomes increasingly frustrated the more he ignores his own fundamental capacity to be generous. Once we understand that generosity is a primordial virtue that is forever tied to our being, then and only then can we properly understand what it means to be a brother or sister in Christ to one another. Because then and only then can you be generous as you ought. Okay? All right. So, again... That was intended to be 
a brief pause, but one that was necessary in the light of this person, Joseph, who is constantly so generously giving. Here, I believe, giving to his brothers. All right, how about this verse 28? And their hearts sank, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? How about this first part of the verse, their hearts sank? Uh, the Hebrew there is, their hearts went out, or their hearts leapt out of their chest, right? Brothers and sisters, what happens to you when you are afraid of something, especially when there is this kind of sudden fear? And just not a sudden fear, but a sudden fear that is tied to a past act of yours. Does not your heart leap out of you? What is this that God has done to us? In the back of their mind, these brothers know all too well what they did to, to their brother Joseph. It is on their conscience for sure. So to these verses, whoever was the cause of this, these brothers concluded the overruling hand of divine providence was in it. As further chastisement and correction uh, of them for their iniquity. I mean, their minds and hearts were so pressed with the guilt of their sin, they were so possessed of nothing but fears and dreadful apprehension of things that they put the worst construction upon them they possibly could, as men in such circumstances usually do, right? We fear even when there is no occasion to fear. Did these brothers have an occasion to fear? Were they so entrapped in their finite minds they could not see outside of maybe the simple act of generosity? I suppose if they knew who it was that filled their sacks and their brother Joseph, maybe they wouldn't be so afraid. All right, verse 29. When they came to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had befallen them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us. Isn't it fascinating, my friends? The man, the Lord of the land. Who are they talking about? Who are they talking about? But Joseph. The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, son of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men. And I will deliver to you your brother and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come upon me. Then Reuben said to his father, Slay my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. Isn't that interesting? So just as Reuben, followed by Judah, intervened to save Joseph's life, so Reuben, followed by Judah volunteers to give guard to Benjamin's life. Hey, props to Reuben here, right? I mean, Reuben is really stepping forward. Okay, 
We continue. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he only is left. If harm should befall him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Wow. So here, Jacob simply, flatly (laughs) refuses to send Benjamin to Egypt at this first proposal. Really, it is only later that he allows it to be so. All right, so what do we have here? Well, upon their arrival, (laughs) the brothers had quite a story to tell, right? Jacob certainly insisted on an explanation for the absence of Simeon. Still, there is not the response of grief we might expect if one of his more beloved sons had been taken captive. And so what you have here is a blow-by-blow account being given by the nine, ending with the bad news that Benjamin would have to be taken along the next trip if they expected to see Simeon again or to purchase more grain. Apparently, the sacks of grain were being unloaded and opened as the report was given to Jacob because his response to the whole affair is delayed, right? Delayed until the discovery of the money in the rest of the sacks which they brought back. I find it interesting here to compare the response of Joseph's brothers to the discovery of the money in the one sack along the way with that of Jacob. There the hand of God was seen. Here, nothing is said of God, but only of bad luck and of personal disaster for Jacob. You know, in these chapters dealing with the life of Joseph, three different responses to adversity are seen. Pay close attention here. For Joseph, his suffering was ultimately from the hand of a loving heavenly father who was near in his affliction. We read that in chapter 39, verse 23, chapter 40, verse 8, and also in chapter 41, throughout chapter 41. For his brothers, their adversity was punishment from an angry God who was getting even with them for their sin. For Jacob, it was no more than the fickle hand of fate or worse yet the stupidity of his sons that made his life miserable. And yet, in every instance, affliction was the gentle and gracious hand of God drawing his sons closer to himself. You see, my friends, God acts, but you have three different interpretations of how God acts. And to the degree that you're going to understand that interpretation is to the degree that you're going to be in a personal relationship with God. You know, so often, so many of us claim to understand God. Can we claim such an understanding if we are not rooted in a living relationship with Jesus Christ, in a living relationship with the Holy Spirit, in a living relationship with the triune God? Brothers and sisters in Christ, Joseph knew God and he knew how God works. And for this reason, he came to an understanding of what God was doing. Jacob was in a far different spiritual state than his son Joseph. No wonder it fell to Joseph to function as head of the family so that a spiritual lesson would be learned and the faith of all would be strengthened and restored. How self-centered Jacob's words are. Poor me, is this not the essence of the life of Jacob as we are reading it in these verses? 
He could not see the gentle hand of God in all of this, but it was there regardless. While affliction drew Joseph ever closer to God, Jacob had seemingly forgotten his faith. A further indication of the breakdown in Jacob's spiritual life was his reaction to the necessity of sending Benjamin to Egypt. Reuben seeks to assure Jacob that things would work out okay, right? But Jacob was not to be convinced. In fact, he was not willing to even take a chance on losing Benjamin. In effect, what did this mean? But that Jacob was willing to sacrifice his son Simeon rather than run any risk of losing his favorite son, Benjamin. What do you see there? Well, a little partiality, huh? No wonder Jacob's sons were so willing to sell Joseph into slavery to secure their own selfish interests. They were just learning from their dad, right? For the brother's own gain, they were willing to let Joseph live out his life in Egypt as a slave. This is exactly the effect of Jacob's decision here. Rather than run the slightest risk of losing his beloved Benjamin, Jacob would allow Simeon to spend the rest of his life in Pharaoh's prison and give that Egyptian vizier, Joseph, right? The impression that his son's words were untrue. Joseph's brothers were truly sons of their father. Jacob could not live without Benjamin. So what does he do? He protests. There was no way that he would ever give him up. And yet, of course, this was precisely the way God had determined to save Jacob and all his family. Right? Right? What were we talking about three, four, five months ago? I have to go back to check exactly when we were talking about Abraham. Just as Abraham expressed his faith by showing his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac, God is challenging Jacob to be willing to give up his son Benjamin. The very thing that Jacob thought would destroy him was the means of his own salvation. What's the end lesson here? How blind we are to the workings of God, especially when we are going our own way. How blind we are to the workings of God, especially when we go our own way. Mea culpa. That is the challenge before each and every one of us and brothers and sisters in Christ, including myself. I have that tendency to want to do it my way. And when I have that tendency, God sticks out his foot and reminds me that's not how it works. <laughs> yes, I am to do what I am called to do, but only in so far as it is God who is calling me to do it. In so far as it is God calling all of us to do what we are called to do as sons and daughters of God. Brothers and sisters, there are many other lessons to this evening, one of which is tied to how we interpret God working in our life. And I really want us to just stay with this truth. If you want to understand how God works, then do what we've been doing over the last 10 months. Study sacred scripture. Befriend our Lord Jesus Christ on a more consistent basis and inquire, why did that happen? What is the meaning of this? What is going on here? Lord, help me understand. Do so humbly but do so. Inquire, engage, talk with God. And part of that conversation is reading sacred scripture. Part of that conversation is reading about the saints because the saints have shown us how to do it. 
how to interpret God. How to see God in the most unsuspecting way and unsuspecting manner. Try it, my friends. It will give you insight into your own life. Maybe you're asking yourself right now, boy, how can I possibly get through what I'm going through right now? Read sacred scripture. Read about the lives of the saints. Maybe you are projecting what you are going through unto God, that it's God's fault. Maybe you're, you're playing the hand of Jacob. Come on, God, why are you doing this to me? But is this what it's about? Huh? All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift to be able to reflect into the richness of your word, your word that is replete with so many lessons that might help us to become the best version of who you are calling us to be each and every day in each and every encounter. Give us the grace to see what you want us to see. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.